This is Think Digital Futures. I'm Shane Anderson. You can move the chair. You can move the chair. That's fine. 99% of people aged between 18 and 29 use social media. That's pretty much everyone. So when your friends and your enemies can be reached at the touch of a button, we're closer now than we ever were before. Hello. 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 And this closeness is doing weird things to our social relationships. Perhaps nothing captures this weirdness more than one of the most mystifying cultural phenomenon to spring up in the digital age. This is Sally and Laura. Like nearly every other young woman on social media, they've received... Dick pics. Have you guys ever opened up a message and it's been a picture of a man's penis? Yes. <laughs> Quite a few times. And what's, what's the context? Like, did you know this person beforehand? I assume you did, right? Yeah, kind of. This one's specific situation was we were just chatting and then all of a sudden on Snapchat he added me and I opened up the first Snapchat of him and it was just his dick. And I was like, ah! <laughs> Oh, I've gotten a few from various guys. Some of them be like dating, boyfriend, or like fuck buddies. Sometimes it just randomly like, oh, hi, that's a dick. <laughs> just randomly, like, just randomly on Snapchat. Like, oh, all right. The notorious DP exists in a kind of a grey area. For some, it can be fun. For others, it's harassment. It's a perfect example of the new sets of social situations that can be tricky to manoeuvre. What do you do? Do you do you reply? Do you delete it? Depends on who it's from. If it's from my boyfriend, obviously reply and sex back. If it's from a random, just kind of ignore it and hope it goes away. Has anyone ever, when you've ignored them, has anyone ever persisted? Or is it just like, it's there, do what you want with it? Yeah, one guy um, that I... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Brad. One guy who was a friend just... Maybe <laughs> <laughs> put it in silence. <laughs> Is that a dick pic? <laughs> no, it's not. Do you think it's offensive? I don't think so. If it's if you want it, it's not offensive. If it's kind of out of the blue and you hadn't asked for it, it's kind of like, um, is this harassment? Should I be telling your girlfriend that you're sending me these? If it's uncalled for, I think it's just like creepy and not really necessary. But I don't know, it depends on the person. I probably wouldn't find it offensive. It's more of a joke for me anyway. I'd probably just laugh lol. And, yeah, I'd laugh and tell my friends about it. Yeah. <laughs> Whether you're using Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, WhatsApp or Tinder, which doesn't have a notification sound, or a combination of one or two or all of the above, it's getting harder and harder to shut the world out. We can reach whoever we want whenever we want. And like with the DPs, this can be for better or for worse. Navigating the blurred lines between public and private online is not easy. And when things get bad, it means there's nowhere to hide. Abusive comments, photo abuse and identity hacking are just a few of the ways things can go wrong. This is called cyberbullying. Well, generally when we look at bullying, it's this sort of persistent type behaviour that occurs over a period of time. This is Robin Johns from the Management Discipline Group at the University of Technology, Sydney. Extending that into the cyber world, well, we tend to look at that as far as emails, social media sites, blogs, that type of thing. While cyberbullying is a phenomenon of the digital age, it's not the internet alone at fault here. In fact, Robin says cyberbullying didn't really kick off until the internet became portable. 
that shift from desktop computers to having that mobile device always in your pocket has seen a rise in cyberbullying. Mobile devices are just part of our everyday life and they're always with us, whereas so we're not tied to the desk to have to get there and bully. Before social media apps, when you're in a bad situation, say at school or at work, you could go home. The bullying would end when the school bell rings or at the end of the working day. But in a society where we wake up next to our phones, it's becoming harder to escape situations that make us uncomfortable. But is this a problem with technology or is it a problem with us? Archie Bolter is Programs Director for Project Rocket. It's an initiative that runs anti-cyberbullying workshops in schools across the country. He says that while it's easy to use social media apps as a scapegoat, what we're really looking at here is a social problem. A traditional, I suppose, definition of cyberbullying really focuses on the technological side of things, whereas we're very aware that cyberbullying, although it's playing out in digital spaces, it's very much a social issue. So we always kind of define it as these social issues that are playing out in an online space. Cyberbullying exacerbates issues that people are already dealing with. For Archie, one of the most common issues he sees is feelings of isolation. The issue of exclusion is compounded because you're constantly surrounded by posts and images and statuses of what other people are doing. And we do know that you know social media can be a bit of a highlight reel in that people typically post the best stuff. So if you are feeling a little bit down or a little bit excluded and suddenly you're seeing all this great stuff that everyone else is doing, it can be quite isolating. It's important here to note that cyberbullying isn't exclusively a high school issue and it's not just for millennials. It can happen to anyone at any time. But with 99% of young adults using social media, the statistics are skewed towards the youth. Interestingly, Robin says that while we do know things like photo abuse and identity hacking are definitely taking place, it's difficult to know just how many people have experienced cyberbullying or been a cyberbully. Depends on what you read. They sort of say one to two people in every ten are experiencing cyberbullying. However, research into abusive online behaviours tell us some interesting things about ourselves. A government study called the Australian Covert Bullying Prevalence Study interviewed about 20,000 students. They found, firstly, that a quarter of all cyber bullies target people they don't even know. And these figures slant towards women, with 64% of female students from years 6 to 12 being targeted. There's something weirdly gendered going on here, and Robin has also found that in her research, where she studied workplaces with a big macho culture. There has been some research focused in the manufacturing sector because there's discussions around how more male-dominated workplaces are likely to experience more bullying and and that translating into cyberbullying as well. Coming up after the break, could there be a tech solution to our social problems? And what should we do when someone is harassing us online? This is Think Digital Futures.
to Think Digital Futures. Before the break, we talked about how social problems are translating into the digital world. Technology is giving us new spaces for our personal lives to play out, and it's changing how we relate to each other in a bunch of ways, some new, some familiar. Technology itself isn't necessarily the problem here, but could it be the solution? I'm Gordon Long. I'm currently a doctor and a lecturer in University of Technology, Sydney. Gordon is working on a research project investigating the potential for artificial intelligence to detect when people go too far online. To do this, they use a type of machine learning called supervised learning. The supervised learning is the giving a text message from the social media. We can ask someone, for example, the parents or the children, to give the label for each message. By feeding tens of thousands of messages into the machine, some marked good and some marked bad, the machine can learn how to distinguish between innocent messages and cyberbullying. We randomly select the message from them and remove the personal information. Just leave the message here. They chose the messages based on keywords. Those keywords being obscenities. And where do they get these messages from? But the most open and at times hateful social media platform, Twitter. Anyone who's on Twitter knows that it can get a bit rough, and Guodong's team's findings reflect that. Currently, after filter the message, we have six percent messages, subpoint message based on the people's labeling. So 6% of messages were flagged as abusive. That means if you're looking at 10,000 messages, then 600 of those cross the line. But within that figure, the posts run a spectrum that is, at worst, harassment, and at best, harsh enough to make people feel a bit uncomfortable. It's this spectrum that means there still needs to be a human element involved in scanning tweets. At this stage, AI can't take context into account, and context is everything. Yeah, contact is very important. The historic information is also very important. And uh, your social networks is also very important to detect this cyberbullying. But the potential for technology like this to regulate online behaviour is huge. And perhaps not surprisingly, the idea from it actually came from a concerned parent. There's one professor from University of Queensland, and uh, he has a daughter one day while his daughter is walking or play with the social media and he wants to learn what his daughter is talking in the social media. But of course, his daughter refused his request. Then he started worrying about his daughter's life in the social network. Then he proposed this idea and then we think this is very valuable. It's easy to imagine this kind of software as a tech-driven way a parent can hover over the shoulder of their child, checking they're not receiving or sending anything untoward. And depending on where you stand on the issue, this can be problematic. There's two sides to this particular coin. We can firstly acknowledge that the line between the private and public is broken, and therefore we need technology like this to scan our private messages, to make sure we know who is sending our kids Snapchats. We can assume that we all know how to use the internet, and we alone know the context of a particular message. We don't need an AI version of the Microsoft paperclip popping up on our screen to ask us if we're joking or not. Guodong sees this debate as a huge problem, but in the end, it's not up to him to decide what is done with the technology. He thinks it's best as an open-source software, meaning it's freely available online. So we are thinking about when we finish the technology, we probably will open source to everyone and uh, particularly could open to the social science researcher. Then they can think about how to apply this technology. And privacy isn't the only elephant in the room when it comes to social media apps and cyberbullying. 
If we really have that much of a problem using social media, if we're that filled with anxiety about what our peers think of us or how they'll respond to us online, why don't we just switch off? I asked Archie from Project Rocket that exact question, and the answer made me feel old. That's something that we hear from parents a lot, and that's why don't you just switch off? I suppose we're talking about social issues here. So similarly, if someone that you knew in your friendship group was to have a go at you or do something awful, you couldn't just switch off, right? Because that's an ongoing relationship. You have connections with other people. There are ripples. You go to school together. You know each other. So you really can't just switch off. Switching off isn't an option for everyone, particularly in regional areas where people are more likely to use apps to keep in contact with people who aren't geographically close. On the flip side, people in regional areas are also 8% more likely to witness online harassment. Being more connected means being more exposed to the dark side of social media. But there are a few techniques we can employ when navigating our online friendships and relationships. Archie says one of the most common queries he gets has to do with sending and receiving nude photos. As Sally and Laura said at the top of the show, nudes aren't inherently bad. It just depends on whether or not they're welcome. People aren't dirty or trashy or bad people for sending this content because obviously people have always explored their sexuality. It just happens to be playing out in an online setting now. What is often not acknowledged is the social pressure that goes along with both feeling like you have to ask for nudes or feeling like you have to send them. Archie has one method you can use to throw a persistent nude requester off track. If you're not comfortable, you have every right to say no. And we often recommend sending a curveball, which is to send something really random if you're feeling awkward saying no. For example, I worked with a girl in Western Australia who, when a guy was pressuring her for photos, she'd said no and he kept asking. So because she's a genius, she ran up to her old Barbie doll collection and just took layers of clothing off her Barbies every time he asked for another photo. And when she showed me the messages, he had eight photos of naked Barbies on his phone. And the last message was him saying, sorry, please don't tell anyone. Another problem is what to do when you see someone posting something hateful or hurtful online. When you see this, it's pretty tempting to take the bait, to lay out all your arguments in an essay that proves the person wrong once and for all. It's what I do anyway. But Archie says this actually encourages the person posting. We recommend keeping it really short and to write the word dislike under a really hateful or hurtful comment. Recently, I had a direct message sent to me on Instagram from a student who saw a really racist status on Facebook, and she wrote the comment dislike with a little emoji hand pointing up to it. And underneath that, six other people wrote dislike with emoji hands pointing up. And it just completely shut down that post without giving them any fuel. The closeness that social media brings doesn't always end in cyberbullying. In fact, social media apps are helping people to reach outside their geographical boundaries and connect with like-minded people in every corner of the world. In some cases, this is actually helping people deal with real-world bullying. A great example is a student that we worked with. Um, We first met her when she was in year eight and we worked with her. She essentially had a pretty awful time at school. People gave her a really hard time. She was badly bullied. But she had this incredible talent for special effects makeup And she could essentially transform any regular-looking human into a bloodthirsty zombie. And she would post, she started to post these images of her work online and over time created this huge following. And now she has thousands of people who support her work and encourage her and celebrate her talent. So this episode has been all about the good, the bad and the somewhat disturbing ways social media has brought us together and pushed us apart. 
But at the end of the day, ultimately these apps are just a tool. There's lots of ways that you can be on social media, or you can even take the much harder path and quit it altogether. We can choose our own adventure. It's down to how we want to use social media to relate to each other. And it's up to us to draw the line on what we think is okay and what definitely isn't. And everyone has a different take on it, for better or for worse. I think I don't like it personally. I mean, yes, it's helpful, but also it kind of limits a lot of things because I find that sometimes when I talk to guys, they don't like either calling or they much prefer to text and they're much more themselves when they're texting me instead of actually in a conversation face to face. I'd much rather go back to letter writing and I think that's cute. (laughs) But no one will do that these days. (laughs) No one will send you a pigeon. (laughs) No one. Pigeon dick pic. I'm a pretty reserved person, like face to face. I won't talk much. I won't, like, just won't talk. But over text, I can talk to someone for hours. Yeah. What? Oh, yeah. I can't. That's what I hate. <laughs> but I think social media helps because it can get that out that side of you that you wouldn't show in person. You've been listening to Think Digital Futures. The show is produced with the support of the University of Technology, Sydney. For more info, head to 2scr.com slash thinkdigitalfutures. If you like what you hear, tell a friend and rate and review us on iTunes. I'm Shane Anderson. Bye for now.